Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome back to Trades Work, where we highlight the issues important to the skilled trades our society depends on and where the work they do helps us to always put Colorado first. Joining us today is J.J. Amet, President and CEO of the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, a longtime community thought leader and a good friend of the industry. We are excited to have J.J. on the show today. Welcome, J.J. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be with you. So I've known you, I've gotten the pleasure to know you for many, many years, um, and you still can't get rid of me, so <laughs> at least I'm, pers- I'm persevering there. Tell us a little bit about the journey that led you to the Denver Metro Chamber. Well, I'm actually uh, back from my third job at the chamber in my lifetime, believe it or not. I, uh, out of college, I was an entrepreneur. I ran companies for a few years that I had started, uh, then came to the chamber to do public affairs work before then leaving to for my third or fourth career at that point in my life of investment banking and spent 15 years living in Colorado, but working on Wall Street. And then uh, 15 years of Wall Street was enough. So I left that career and came back to focus on what I wanted to do more here at home and less on airplanes and joined the chamber as the head of the Metro Denver Economic Development Corporation. And then for the last 18 months, I've been the president and CEO of the entire organization. So my third job, and it's uh, it's really been an extraordinary experience. Yeah. 18 months in the job. What What are you most proud of at this point? Well, the chamber has so much to be proud of. I mean, this year we will celebrate our 157th birthday. Mm. So the Denver Metro Chamber is nine years older than the state of Colorado. In fact, we're one of the three or five oldest continuously operating businesses in the state. So there's a lot of really extraordinary history and a lot of uh, really cool programming that takes place at the Denver Metro Chamber. I think what I'm most proud of in the 18 months that I've been the CEO is really harmonizing all of those different programs into sort of common objectives and common goals around the economic empowerment of every Coloradan. And there's so much that happens here, whether it's economic development work or our Chamber's Leadership Foundation and civic leadership and developing civic leaders uh, to the public policy work. Making sure that those are all harmonized and moving in the same direction has been, I think, the biggest challenge since I've been the CEO. And it's the progress we've made that I'm most proud of. Yeah, I think the the name is a little misleading and, and our listeners may not realize the Denver Metro Chamber is much more than just Denver. Your tentacles reach far, and the regional collaboration this industry or this organization has afforded all of us in the business community has been tremendous. And uh, I'm glad to see that that's continuing under your leadership. Yeah, we really are an, an, not just a national, but an international leader in regional collaboration. So, you know, Denver's in our name, but we're not of Denver. We Our metro Denver region, we count as nine counties. So that's two-thirds of the state's population and three-quarters of the GDP take place in what we call metro Denver. And uh, everyone is equally welcome and equally promoted, and, and that collaboration doesn't disparage one community over another. We work for the benefit of the Colorado economy. Uh, because of our size, we're by far the largest chamber. And when it comes to public policy, we have by far the largest public policy team uh, at the Capitol and in city halls across the region. But it really is a regional focus. About 60% of our members have offices in Denver. 
mm-hmm. the, and, but our employees live all throughout Colorado. So we take a really uh, broad view of public policy and economic development and leadership development and uh, have done it for a really long time. And, and, and every week there's someone in the office from somewhere else in the country or around the world. We had a group in from the southern region of the Negev Desert of Israel uh, trying to figure out how do we do that regional collaboration and how does it work here? And it's it's part of the Colorado culture now uh, that the Chamber and the Economic Development Corporation really helped build. Yeah, and you have a great team with Ray Gonzalez and your public policy or public affairs team uh, with Adam Berg and Rachel Back. Uh, you guys are very, very active and very well known. So let's talk, you mentioned legislative session. I know that those words tend to ignite PTSD being this <laughs> close to the end of the session. Tell us what are some wins and losses from the business side of the uh, ledger, in your opinion? Well, it was certainly a challenging uh, session for folks who really work in the industry of, of economic development and economic competitiveness. Coming out of, of COVID still, there's a hangover left. Um, there are legacy programs. Some of that funding's going away, and we have to make those hard decisions about what was emergency funding and, and how do we keep temporary money from turning into permanent programming. But, you know, we played a lot of defense. The makeup of the legislature has changed dramatically. Uh, a third of the legislature was brand new yeah. and had never addressed some of these issues. Increasingly, we're seeing elected officials at the state legislature and elsewhere um, who came out of school, went to work for a political advocacy organization, and then ran directly for office. And what's missing there is any experience whatsoever in the for-profit private sector. So many legislators and policymakers now have never worked for a business, let alone run their own business. So their understanding of how the economy works mm-hmm. is just different. And, and there's a lot of education and and misperceptions that need to be corrected about how employers and employees work together for the ultimate success of the company. So those were challenging things, and and you saw that manifest in some legislation. Um, Post-COVID, our employer members have worked really hard with their employees and their employee groups to be introduced flexibility that didn't exist before. So can I pick up a few hours here and then run to my kid to school uh, or pick up a shift here, but then mom or dad has a doctor's appointment I want to take. So employers have worked together with their employees to come up with flexibility that never existed before. Uh, the legislature saw that and said, well, we need a fair work week, Lil, that would make all of that illegal. Mm-hmm. And so employers and employees came together and said, hey, wait a minute, this, you're not, that's not helping. We like this flexibility. Don't do that to us. But, but from the legislator's point of view, who've never been involved in business and never had that kind of relationship, they see, they felt like they were doing the right thing. Yeah, uh, and thank goodness we were able to kill that bill. And but that was the same sort of philosophy that we saw in so many other bills, where the I think the intention of the legislators tends to be good, but because they have no real experience in the private sector and the for profit, either as an employee or as an employer, uh, they don't always make the right policy choices. Whether that's around rent control, uh, we tried to. In, there was somebody that wanted to introduce construction defects into single family housing. Uh, which has demolished our our condominium construction. It would demolish single-family housing next. Things like right of first refusal and pay equity and gig workers. and all. It's, The list goes on and on of, of things that are not supportive to Colorado's economic competitiveness hmm. because they come from a place not of, of necessarily malice, 
but just a complete misunderstanding of how the private sector works and the collaboration that you have to have between an employer and their employees. Hmm. Well, sitting here just here listening to you talk, what occurs to me or jumps out to me is how do we bridge that gap or that divide between you know business understanding and and you know being able to aspire to a public policy you know uh, elected official and how do we how do we do that i know that another one of the flags here at the chamber is the leadership foundation and there's a lot that goes on there and you know is that an opportunity from your chair to say how do we bridge that divide or gap or how do we you know help with that learning curve so that folks who are elected making policy decisions for business understand the business aspect of it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we definitely need to make sure that folks that are running for public office, um, both in elected positions and those who are serving in appointed positions, have that understanding of how the free market economy works, how a fair free market economy works, how democratic capitalism works. And sometimes they haven't had that experience. The way we do that most often is that we bring our member companies themselves to the Capitol. Uh, or to the city hall or to county commissioners so that they don't just hear from the staff of the chamber, but they hear from the individual entrepreneur themselves. And so whether it's Moa Hila, a first-gen uh, construction company owner, or Carla Dorr, one of our uh, leaders in woman-owned business, uh, we bring them to tell their stories. And frequently, they're bringing their employees with them. Mm. And so they can say, hey, here's how it works in real life. And, and this is the relationship we have as an employer or an employee and the workforce we're trying to develop. Now, a lot of times I think people are under the misunderstanding that employers are in a dark room twisting their mustaches trying to figure out how to exploit someone that particular day. And and what the story we've told, particularly post-pandemic, where Colorado has labor shortage, a skilled labor shortage in particular, and employers are working like crazy to find out how can they recruit and then retain that talent – uh, and that's a real challenge. And so it's not that employers are looking to exploit, but quite the opposite. Employers right now are looking to do whatever they can, um, whether it's wages or flexibility or benefits. What can we do to attract and retain talent to fuel our, our businesses and yeah. ultimately to fuel the Colorado economy? Yeah, and I know the Chamber's been out front in workforce development for a number of years. Uh, I appreciated your article in the CSU's uh, magazine earlier this year where you not only talk about the traditional four-year institutional uh, trained workforce, but you also talk about skilled trades and talk about the needs uh, for more apprenticeship and opportunities for Coloradans. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that, in the, at least in the skilled trades perspective or our association's perspective, you know, we've struggled with making sure that people understand these opportunities that exist from a workforce development perspective. So just any any thoughts you have on how we amplify our voice even harder or louder and make sure that these opportunities are known to all Coloradans and people you work with? Well, we're talking about it all the time because talent drives the economy. Yeah. Um, no question about it. Um, skilled talent in particular. And it is the huge competitive advantage that Colorado has had for some time is the talented and skilled workers want to, to be here and live here. Uh, in the old days when we were doing economic development and corporate recruitment, the first boots on the ground might have been the finance department or the real estate department, sometimes the CEO choosing where they wanted the company to be. Not anymore. The first boots on the ground now every single time is the HR department. Hmm. Do you have the talent in your community that we're going to need to grow our company 
Do you have it now? And are you building that talent for the future? And so the chamber and our members take a really broad view of workforce development. And I think that we have let the pendulum swing a little bit too far toward there's one way to be educated. And that always meant a four-year college degree. And that's great for many people. Uh, but I grew up on a farm and a cattle ranch in northeast Colorado. Uh, not every one of my buddies wanted to go to a four-year college. And yet they were some of the most skilled people and creative people that I knew. Uh, and what we're seeing in the economy now is that there are multiple pathways for great careers, careers that can build not just dignity, but frankly, build wealth that don't necessarily need a four-year degree. And so finding new opportunities, whether it's through apprenticeship programs or what you're doing at the Western States College of Construction, those are all great examples of alternative pathways into a, a career with wealth and dignity uh, that may or may not necessarily run through a four-year institution. And, and we need to make that not just that that's okay, but that that's an extraordinarily good choice yeah. for many folks. And, and from building the entire economy at a macro level, it is essential that we have those skilled workers uh, because they are the backbone of building everything else, that, that everything else really, they're the foundation on which we build everything else. Yeah. And so if you take that away, it uh, doesn't matter how many four-year degrees we have. Right. Nope, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, the net for us is we need 50,000 more construction workers in Colorado by the year 2030. Uh, and, you know, there are always, I mean, that's really where we started the Western States College of Construction is to make sure that we're showcasing not only can you learn in our four-year institution or five-year institution the apprenticeship skills or the skilled trades that this region relies on, but you're also going to come out educated uh, and be able to, you know, be a leader on a job site or be an estimator or project manager or whatever your career path might entail. Uh, we're growing that talent internally and any way we can kind of hitch our wagon to the chamber and look for ways to partner, uh, we're certainly open to. Yeah, those, those practical skills, again, are essential. And then being able to have a skilled trade background as well is just it's great preparation, not just for the that particular work, but on all the other opportunities that can be built on top of that. Yeah. People don't realize that, you know, building a project is a multi million dollar company, one project. Uh and, you know, we're building a project for whether it be Amazon or one of the other regional employers here, they're spending money. We're building their project that creates the jobs that then becomes the source for you know this region's success. What we've highlighted in the chamber and at the Metro Denver Economic Development Corporation is just how how versatile those skilled trades are. So we, when we talk about industry clusters, whether it's healthcare or financial services or bioscience, we talk about them as industry clusters, but now we've started also talking about them as talent clusters. Mm -hmm. Because it didn't matter which of those unique industry clusters you're in. If you were a skilled trades person, uh, you were essential to all of those. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're talking about the talent clusters that make Colorado successful in addition to the industries themselves. Yeah. Well, thanks for considering that. I, you know, for years, construction has been thought about or thought of as a secondary employer uh, and not a primary employer because we don't fit in that particular cluster. And I think that transition really bodes well for our industry. Yeah, it was a four-year degree that made up that definition. Yeah. So let's pivot. Um, not that we had tons of fun in our legislative session, 
But as we all have gotten to know the last number of years, the regulatory uh, system uh, creates just as much rules and regulations yeah. as the legislature does. There's Maybe a, more. You know, it's interesting you say that. I've tried to study that, uh, and we are taking a serious hard look at number of bills versus number of regulatory hearings. And we believe that there will be more um, once we're done counting on the regulatory side, but we're not done with that work yet. So there's a lot going on here from a regulatory perspective, and it involves every industry that works in this state. How are you as the chamber, you as J.J. Ament, planning on engaging in these conversations and what, what sticks out to you? Well, certainly that it's a year-round job now to be involved in public policy in Colorado. It's not the 120 days of the legislative session only, where this year they considered 617 bills. Uh, and that's on top of 500 new laws that they passed last year, just less than nine months ago. I promise I didn't lay awake 18 months ago worried because I thought there were 1,100 essential items about Colorado that needed to be legislatively repaired. But that's how much we deal with in yeah. the scope. And then it's now it's year-round. And the regulatory environment is just as challenging as the legislative environment. And we've seen the legislature over the last year start to move much of its authority into the executive branch. And that's uh, suboptimal from a separation of powers and a check and balance point of view, and certainly from how those things get implemented. In fact, uh, one of the biggest challenges that we've had is around the pay equity law, equal pay for equal work. Well, the Chamber of Commerce and our members support equal pay for equal work. But the three years of rulemaking that have followed that have contorted that statute into something that's barely recognizable and resulted in the number one read article in the Wall Street Journal that said remote workers are wanted everywhere except Colorado. Yeah, I saw that. And we could spend our entire budget trying to undo the damage of just that headline. And we wouldn't move the needle. That wasn't because of a bad statute per se. It was because of the implementation of that implementation of that statute uh, really made it much, much worse, much more burdensome. And that's just one example of many. And so I think we need to be really thoughtful about rulemaking. And certainly from the business community, we're having to rethink the way we do public policy so that we're prepared for the rulemaking as much as we're prepared for the legislation itself. Yeah. Well, however we can help, we stand ready because, you know, uh, running, in a, running a business these days with the challenges of workforce and, and everything else that we have on top of the new 1,100 laws uh, that, that transpire and now the regulatory framework uh, just, you know, makes it tough to be able to operate a business. And, you know, from our employer's perspective, you know, one of those targets or one of the items uh, that, you know, causes us to scratch our head is all of this work around electrification and how are we going to program for that and how are we going to build it. There are aspirational goals, and at some point in time, they have to hit implement, implementable reality. Yeah. And so, you know, we are engaged in, you know, whether it be Reg 28 that uh, is coming up later this year or some of the other pieces of legislation, Energize Denver, um, we're really trying to to make sure that folks who are, you know, kind of aspirationally figuring out how we address climate, carbon, greenhouse gas emissions, NOx, and others, that we're doing it in a way that the industry is able to still install 
and the manufacturers are still able to make the equipment. If we can get a permit. We've had 55 new environmental laws in just the last three years, and each one of them tends to move the goalposts a little differently than the last one. So as you're trying to think about capital investments and how to deploy capital, you never know because once you do it in in months, the goalposts may move. Um, The chamber's having it at our own issues because we own the building that we're in, the Chamber of Commerce building. Uh, We have new systems from about 10 years ago when we remodeled that are state-of-the-art at the moment they were in style, and they're still mid-life cycle. Uh, but we may not comply with the rules and regulations that are coming down and changing from both the city of Denver and the state. And so what we try to remind people is we're try- we certainly believe in climate change. We're trying to be good stewards. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. But it's not good for the environment to, to get rid of systems a third or halfway through their useful life. Uh, to meet a standard that just got applied that's different than the one that was applied last year. And so we tell people, like, look, if it's not technologically possible, if it's not financially possible, no rule or regulation is going to make it so. Um, And that's not good for the environment, and it's disastrous for the economy. And when we start talking about some of the the just irrational choices and and requirements that are being made that a – that a bakery and a refinery might have to go through the same sort of process for an air quality permit. Uh, it's just not a rational way to approach uh, making sure. And uh, we have a, a positive climate. And, and the chamber takes a backseat to nobody on environmental concerns. We created the Regional Air Quality Commission. We were the private sector force behind cleaning up Denver's famous brown cloud in the 1980s. So yeah, I remember. if we we need to protect Colorado's environment, it makes it an attractive place for us to to live and to work. And if we ruin those very things that have made us attractive to talented and skilled workers, then our economy will falter. So we're not taking a backseat on any of those issues. But there is a rational, technologically sound, financially possible way to address those changes. And those aren't always reflected in the goals and rules and regulations and statutes that are coming from from our state capital and sometimes from Washington. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. The reality is, um, until some changes this session, there are 8,000 buildings that are 50,000 square feet or larger in Colorado. And with a 2030 time horizon, whether you're at end of life or not, you have to make the capital outlay and upgrades. And that means you're doing 1,200 buildings a year. That means you're doing 95 a month or 22 a week. Uh, in a market that is already maxed from a workforce perspective, let alone supply chain challenges. Um, I don't know how we're going to do it, and we're going to continue to engage this year. We'll uh, definitely work with you and and other regional partners to make sure that we look at what we're ask, being asked to do and do it in a thoughtful way that ensures everybody's successful. Yeah, and can the economy withstand that for sometimes little, if any, improvement in actual air quality yeah. or environmental condition? So it's a balance, and it has to be nuanced, and that's what sometimes gets missed in a rule or regulation. And and the, the language of politics these days doesn't really support that kind of nuanced approach or that thoughtful approach. Um, we're certainly not anti-environment. Yeah. We're not anti-air quality. Yeah, we are neither. Uh, nobody is. But it, there's a rational way to approach this that, that preserves the economic engine that's required to be able to pay for all of it. Yep. Yep. Uh, we're 100% aligned there. So Denver Metro Chamber is sitting inside the city and county of Denver. 
And I think at this point you'd have to be living under a rock to know or not know rather that there's an election coming up here in June. Um, so not asking you to divulge any of the chamber's support or any, you know, thoughts and wisdom there, but, uh, the kind of the city and county of Denver, in my opinion, is at a precipice and the next leader is going to have some difficult challenges. What do you think's at risk? What do you think that the business community might be impacted by? Well, certainly Denver as our capital city is kind of first among equals. And, and what we see happen in Denver tends to spread out to the communities throughout the metro Denver region, which is the area that we serve. So we certainly pay close attention to that. You know, the chamber has never endorsed individual candidates for office, um, but in, rather through our leadership program, which tries to make sure that they're all educated and prepared and, and well-equipped to serve uh, when they get there. And we try to have an open dialogue with many of them. But I will tell you that the change that we're seeing now, not just in Denver, but throughout this region, is folks running on organized slates of candidates mm-hmm. who genuinely and sincerely believe that free market capitalism is a bad economic system. We have candidates running under the banner of Democrat Socialists of America right. uh, who really believe in dismantling uh, the the economic system that has lifted more people from poverty than any other system in the world, no matter how you measure it. And, and look, free market capitalism isn't perfect. There are things that we do to make, and that's the chamber's goal, is to make sure there's economic empowerment for every Coloradan so that every Coloradan, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, urban, rural, you name it, fully participates and realizes the benefits of Colorado's economy. That's what we're all about. Um, but we're we're coming up against policymakers who, without, by the way, being able to identify a better alternative, mm-hmm. uh, want to dismantle this one. And it really is a stunning turn uh, because when you look around the world, there is no example of an alternate system that, that provides more to more people than ours does. Yeah. Um, free market, fair free market. Uh, enterprise has has put more goods and services within reach of more people than any other economic system on the planet. So it's making sure that everyone participates in that fully, not the dismantling of that that we need to concentrate on. And right now we're seeing policymakers run in Denver, um, not in the mayor's race at this point, but for city council seats, yeah. and not just in Denver, but in communities throughout the region who don't share that view of how free markets and democratic capitalism can be such a powerful force for good. We need to be prepared to have that battle because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for all of its faults, uh, it is without question the best economic system on the planet. Well, it'll be interesting to see how uh, voters respond. Um, you know, it's a couple of days away and it'll be interesting to see who they choose as our next leader of this great city. Uh, and putting Colorado and Denver first is really our mission at Rocky Mountain MCA. Well, and the one thing that we share is that no matter who wins these elections, we need to be engaged. And I know sometimes uh, not just employers and employees, but people generally in the community think, well, politics is distasteful. It's nasty. I don't like it. It's it's gross and kind of creepy. And the dialogue is so harsh and unfair that that I'm not I don't want to be anywhere near it, uh, let alone actively participate in it. And I think our job as the Denver Metro Chamber and Metro Denver Economic Development Corporation is to really encourage people that you 
you have to engage. Yeah. You you cannot sit it out no matter how distasteful it is because the policies that are being discussed impact every aspect of your life. And so you might have been able to take it for granted 10, 15 years ago. You can no longer take it for granted. You have to engage in your local community at the local level, at the state level, and at the federal level. What's the saying? You're either on the menu or at the table. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. All right, so kind of a left field question for you. Yeah, we heard earlier in our podcast that you were uh, grew up on a cattle ranch. Yep. So young JJ Emmett, <laughs> what was your aspirational goal from a what did you want to be when you grew up perspective? Well, I loved growing up on the farm. That was really cool, um, both farming and ranching uh, with cattle. And you know, I loved going to a rural small school. I had twenty one kids in my graduating class. I didn't finish in the top 10%, even though I was third, now that I think about it. But 102 kids in the whole high school. Uh, what I really wanted to be, and I, it's still on the side of my high school class ring, was a pilot. I really I wanted to fly. I thought that would be cool. And I probably, I mean, I even took a, a course at the junior college in Sterling where we got to ultimately do a week's worth of ground training and then fly a Cessna 172. I could still take off and fly i think in a cessna 172 landing not so sure okay but i could take off and fly and while i didn't ultimately end up being a pilot you know if you look back at my career now i have 1.4 million miles on united airlines so i ended up flying a lot mm. just in the you know the back in of the, the back airplane of the instead of the front of the airplane <laughs> well appreciate your time today i appreciate you joining the show I uh, appreciate what you do for the region. Uh, you work very hard and a lot of hours, and you try to make this city better and this region better. And so thank you for doing that. Well, it's nice to see you, Dave. Thank you for our partnership, and I'm proud to be on Trades Work. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, and building our future. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.